The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition. Not the Q&A edition, actually the EDU edition this week. So I can't even get through the intro without messing it up. (laughs) So uh, today is what I believe to be the last in a series of shows uh, that we've been doing uh, that Jim coined the term dialogue, where essentially we were reaching out to listeners and asking that they uh, shoot us an email, giving us a kind of a their story of how they're planning their own retirements. Maybe they're in retirement already, live in it, uh, live in the dream, if you will. And uh, maybe kind of focusing on what elements of our approach are they kind of utilizing within their own do-it-yourself plan? What what things are they doing that they've taken from others or maybe their own brand new ideas? Uh, kind of describing what they're really doing in a way that, you know, it makes it, interest cause it interesting to us because it allows us to hear what other people are kind of doing on their own, what they might like or dislike about elements of our approach. And I think it's valuable for all you listeners because you can kind of hear what a bunch of other people are doing, Uh, not just necessarily exactly the way we approach it, but maybe some of the variations on on what we do. Uh, I would suspect that anybody who is a regular listener to the show who uh, emails us is somebody who's utilizing at least a portion of what we preach, uh, be a little odd to listen to the show uh, and not agree with anything that we say, (laughs) but... uh, um, you know, these have been really good. This has actually been very, very popular. And in talking to Jim before the show here, uh, he let me know that uh, he he thinks because of all the requests for, you know, people have asked us to continue doing this, uh, we're going to do some more of these, not immediately after this show. I think we're going to wrap it at, at this point, but we're going to bring it back uh, periodically. And I think our initial thoughts are we'll open up the dialogue, we'll call it. Uh, once a quarter, so every every couple two three months, we will uh, put out the call or let people know, and and you don't have to wait till we put out the call. If you've got, um, you know, your your thoughts uh, that you like to share with us about how we do things, what you utilize in your planning approach that 
uh, you know, mimic some of what we do or our variations on what we do and, and share with us what other uh, elements you may have added or discarded, uh, essentially your retirement story or your retirement approach. You can send those in at any time. Just make sure in the subject line that you indicate that this is a, a submission for the dialogue series. We'll call it that. So this will be a recurring series that will come up. Not that we'll do, I think this is show number four or five on this uh, right now. I don't, I'm not saying we're going to do four or five shows every quarter on this, but we'll, we'll circle back to this idea and, and uh, do that uh, at least once a quarter um, because it seems to be popular with people. Those of you who hate it, at least we're limiting it to just once a quarter. <laughs> so, um, but Jim's got a couple of interesting emails uh, to, to try to fit in today. Uh, I think he's about ready. He was gathering those emails and his coffee in preparation to uh, to join me here on the show. So did I uh, adequately convey your intentions with the dialogue oh, I missed series? about half of it as I was getting well, let's just assume coffee. that I did. <laughs> so I, I assume you did well. Yeah. But yes, folks, I, I have a coffee, cheap-ass coffee. I will say that. Homemade Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Um well, you need so to upgrade not, from that worthless Keurig machine is what you need to do. No, no. this I brewed it. I, I get oh, Dunkin' Donuts okay, coffee. Oh, okay. That's better. Yeah, that's better. Real Dunkin' Donuts right. coffee, but um, it is uh, – it's, it's D&D. It's not mm-hmm. the best, but it's not the worst. Uh, but it was old. It was from this morning, and today is, it's, it's now 3.30 oh, it's in the afternoon. it's just rewarmed, warmed yeah, over. Yeah, so I, mm. I, I warmed it over, and then it still didn't taste good. So I filled it with some um, – uh, what do you call it? Hazelnut flavored cream there. So mm. I put some of that in and now it's just more of like a sweet syrupy drink that mm-hmm. is trying to keep me going for the rest of the day. Say, can't you just sprinkle some, some fresh grounds on the top to freshen it up a little? I could have, <laughs> but I tell you what I'm getting used to. Remember I complained oh, no. the other day uh, per your daughter telling me to get some oatmeal thing from Starbucks on my Thursday. Oat milk, not oatmeal. It's oat milk. Oh, oat milk, oatmeal, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, I'm getting used to that damn thing. Hmm. And uh, I had another one yesterday. And it's, it's, they're getting better. They're progressively getting better. And keep in mind, folks, I know today is Tuesday. Y'all listening to this on, well, some of you are listening to it on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, according to Starbucks, it's called Thursday, Y-A-Y, Thursday. Uh, and you uh, buy one, get one free fall flavored coffee after noon. You have to wait till noon or later uh, at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you need the app or not. I have the app. I, I don't. I would imagine you can still walk in even mm-hmm. without the app. Some of those specials, but, you have to do it through their app. They're trying to get people to use the app. Oh, I don't know. I, I think you can walk in. Maybe you have to show them the little mm-hmm. barcode on the app. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you don't, if you can't get it, just tell the barista. I. I Forgot my phone at home and it has my app, and I'm sure they'll give it to you. It's no sweat off there, you know what. Um, I mean, for eight bucks a thing of coffee, Starbucks can certainly afford to give you a free one. But try that. It's only good to the end of September, and you too. You're, you're, you're tight like me. You should try it. Get your free coffee. Yeah. Well, my, the bigger question is, are you trying to wean yourself off of dairy? No, why? Well, you're saying you're kind of – Forcing yourself to keep trying to drink oat milk. Well, no. Well, this this is called a apple oat milk, milk, whatever the hell it's called, something or other with caramel. 
I don't know. It's fall. So oats and, and mm. apples is the fall flavor. But it's made with oat milk. That's why when my Anna bought it into me in the office, when she went and picked up my order, uh, and she had told me to get it, it didn't really resonate with me at first. And she had explained to me, it's oat milk I'm drinking. To which I replied, milk doesn't come from oats. In a roundabout way, it does, but it's got to go through a cow first. Okay. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, I'm sure cows eat oats, don't they? Uh, probably. I would imagine they could. Seems expensive, cows. but maybe. I don't know. I'm not a cow farmer, but cows, every time I look at a cow, they're constantly chewing. The stuff I've smelled them eat, it's not oats. It's something else. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So Chris is right, folks. Uh, this will be the last, but I have decided to make it a uh, quarterly dialogue mm-hmm. uh, going forward. I think mm-hmm. it'll be good. Yep. I think it's uh, we, we really want to engage our listeners on this and share with us, like Chris already mentioned, uh, what you are doing personally. We'll always call you George, so don't worry about it. Uh, what you're doing for your retirement what you like or dislike about our approach, what you like or dislike about the retirement industry and their approach, which is predominantly a safe withdrawal rate and a Monte Carlo probability statistic. That's why we're calling it dialogue. There's no right or wrong answer. We're not going to rip people apart and, and say, oh, this is stupid or that. Um, it's what works for someone may not work for everyone. Our approach to retirement certainly isn't perfect and certainly isn't what we suspect everyone is going to do. But for those that it works for, I think it fits quite well. So that's kind of where I want to go with this dialogue. Mm -hmm. I want to do it quarterly. So even though I'm, this is going to be the last show in this series, it is September, the fourth quarter of the year starts in October. So sometime between October and December, we'll dedicate another two or three EDU shows to uh, your emails. But just remember in the subject line, put this um, dialogue if you have something you want to share on the dialogue EDU. And you can put question if you just have a a regular question for the uh, more traditional EDU show. That helps me. Or Q&A show, depending on. Uh, yeah, Q&A yeah. show or EDU or depending on whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So I got the idea for the quarterly show, and I'll just share with you one of the many emails that we received, Chris. And he says, Jim, I like the comment you shared on Saturday's podcast on September 16th. I, too, very much enjoy, I am enjoying the dialogue about how others use parts of your retirement planning philosophy. And that's what we're going to share today, two more listeners who, who wrote us about what they do. He continues, Chris, I retired in May of 2021 and found your podcast shortly after. At first, I was abs- in absolute disagreement with your approach, especially the use of annuities. I kept listening because I wasn't familiar with Irma, and you just happened to be explaining on the show I listened to what Irma was and how it works. So he hated you at first, I guess, Chris. But eventually you grew on him. Nice. Yeah. I listened to that first show six times until I felt I really understood your concept. Well, now I feel bad. That seems like a knock. (laughs) I'm so confusing that people have to listen to it six times to get it. Um, So I'm not sure how to take that part. 
Okay, well, I don't know. <laughs> Despite my initial less than positive reaction to your retirement planning philosophy, over time, I listened and understood the way you operate. And I must admit, the idea of a bottomless cup of coffee is now quite appealing. Hmm. So the bottomless cup of coffee, and I'm sure longtime listeners know where this listener was going with that. That's how I like to describe an annuity, specifically an income annuity. There are a lot of crap you-know-what annuities out there. Well, more broadly, I'd say it's, it's what we call secure income. Any kind of secure income is that bottomless cup of coffee, True. not just annuities. True. True, not just annuities. Social security, pension, Pensions. and income annuities. Thank you for picking that up. All three of those are bottomless cups of coffee. The only one that you can truly go out and buy on your own is the income annuity. Social Security, you technically buy on your own, but you got to do it over your entire working career. You buy it with your efforts and labor. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, over your working life. A pension, you can't buy a pension. You either got it or you don't, and it's offered through your employer. But an income annuity, you can. We are not, and if you are a new listener like this listener was a new listener not too long ago and didn't like Chris at first, because of our approach to annuities, give us some time. We are not annuity hacks. We talk about annuities a lot, but trust me. And, and if a client is listening, they're probably saying, my goodness, Jim never even recommended we buy an annuity. It hasn't even tried to sell us an annuity. That's not what we do, folks. Our approach, and I said this before, is designed to keep you out of an annuity. Because we only feel certain expenses need to be covered with the bottomless cup of coffee, lifetime guaranteed secure income. And once you understand Social Security, we first believe in fully optimizing Social Security. We next believe in fully optimizing any pension benefits you may be entitled to. Not many of you any longer are entitled to pensions, but some of you are. Only then and only after we ran an analysis to see how much of your minimum dignity floor, food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses projected in a smooth fashion over the course of your life expectancy, how many of those expenses or how much of those expenses are not going to be covered by your given secure income of Social Security and pension and any annuity that you may have purchased on your own earlier in your life. Only after we do that analysis do we look at the difference. And we encourage people not to fund what we call your delay period from when you retire to when your Social Security is fully turned on to to cover that period with an annuity. No. Cover it with withdrawals because you have the end date. You know when it ends. It ends at age 70 when your Social Security is fully optimized. But at that point, surprisingly to most people and to you do-it-yourselfers, maybe surprisingly to you, once your Social Security is fully optimized, you realize relative to your secure, excuse me, to your minimum dignity floor, 
What generally happens initially, Chris? It changes in the future due to inflation. But at first, what surprises most people when they fully turn on their secure income? If you don't live in a particularly high cost of living location, I see very frequently that their social security, that form of secure income that most everyone has, um, is enough to cover the minimum dignity floor expenses expected at that point. That's very common. However, most people, that is not a permanent situation. Some are. Some have nice, They maybe both spouses have really strong Social Security amounts. So just the Social Security uh, appears to meet their minimum dignity floor needs for possibly their lifespan, or at least well into their 90s. Uh, for other people, it's fairly common for us to see, at least in our projections, that there's a bit of a shortfall that starts to creep in later, and that's essentially due to the inflationary assumptions that we're applying to the minimum dignity floor versus Social Security. We are assuming, not in, to give you great detail on this, but basically the minimum dignity floor, we're assuming inflates or grows faster than Social Security is expected to grow, and I think that's a reasonable assumption to make if you're doing your own projections. I think you should be using something along, you know, be in alignment with that, um, that uh, even if the Social Security covers it initially, because the minimum dignity floor grows faster, it eventually overtakes that Social Security at some point, something that uh, that point in time when that happens, Jim refers to as the crossover point. Um, so that is very typical, but it's I, I agree that most people are surprised to see that once all their Social Security is turned on, that their minimum dignity floor, at least for some period of time, is actually expected to be covered by that Social Security. Right. And the reason there is a crossover point, it usually happens for many, many people between 78 and 83. It could vary, but somewhere around there. Uh, and as Chris said, if you live in a high cost of living area of the country, you, you may have a crossover point on day one where you're uh, secure income is not covering your minimum dignity floor. But for most people, we work with people throughout the country. And for most people, there is definitely an initial period where their combined Social Security is covering their food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses. There is a clear crossover point in the future. And it is at that point when the future arises, when the crossover point happens. Do we tell people they might want to consider an income annuity, but it's not their decision to make today as a 50 or 60 year old. It is a decision that the older you will make as a 70, 80 year old. Your responsibility as a 50 or 60 year old is to make sure the money that the older you will need to cover the crossover point and the shortage in funding their minimum dignity floor is reserved and well protected. You're not going to be spending it on fun and then needing it later. And that's the whole idea of our see-through portfolio and the concept we came up with of the fun number. So anyways, this gentleman continues. My thoughts would be for you to dedicate one show per month to the discussion of how others use parts of your approach to shape how they approach their retirement. Mm -hmm. You said you have numerous responses already in your request for dialogue on what others are doing. And it's when he wrote that, Chris, I started thinking, well, what's a month 
No, that's too often, but he's got, he's on to something. I don't have to stop this series. Let's just make it a quarterly series <laughs> rather than once a month, maybe once a quarter. We'll do it maybe three shows in a row. That would be essentially once a month for the quarter, but we'll do it uh, in unison. <laughs> he then ends. I have learned so much from both of you. Jim, your self-deprecating humor provides the perfect bit of entertainment for an otherwise important, albeit dry topic. Much well, very, very nicely uh, navigated there. I will point out, uh, you know, longtime listeners will remember the day just, that you pronounced that. Just, what? It's funny. <sighs> Self-defecating humor. <laughs> that, was a, that was a funny day. Uh, yeah, hilarious. <laughs> yes, I died laughing. So, ni- so nicely done today. And today, just since we're throwing Jim under the bus, so today we have our group meeting, folks. I was on a roll. I was all fired up today. And Chris didn't make the morning group meeting because his his wife wasn't feeling too well, but she's doing better. Um, And he came to the afternoon meeting. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I told everyone to get off the Zoom meeting, but Mm -hmm. to keep Chris on. And Mm -hmm. he politely listened to me ramble on, I think, for another half hour. Uh, God bless you at times, Chris. Um... And then before he got off the Zoom, he actually had the audacity to correct me that apparently I had been mispronouncing some word repeatedly, and and staff was very polite. Well, my grace was shown when I didn't point it out during the group meeting itself, I thought. But everyone during the group meeting must have been biting their tongues because nobody interrupted (laughs) the master. Yeah. Okay. And what was it? What was it? So first, folks, before he even says the word, there ain't no way in hell I can pronounce this word. I know what I wanted to say, and he knows what mm-hmm. I wanted to say. And mm-hmm. when he told me what I was supposed to say, I was I even told him, I said, I ain't even going to bother. Mm-hmm. And he gave me another way to word it. Uh, naming convention. Yes. Yeah, we were t- Jim was describing how to name a, a file name within our file storage system. And he was calling it uh, naming culture or something along those lines, which I am pretty sure he's trying to say nomenclature or That's the one. naming convention or somehow he's morphed those together, which he tends to do. So yeah, we don't need, we don't have to go down this road any farther. Don't have to, this is that anyway. self-deprecating part that uh, yes. this person is admiring. <laughs> but my point is, this is me. It's, I ain't trying to be funny. <laughs> This is just it. Well, that's the best humor when someone's not trying to be funny. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, he gives you a much better compliment. Mm -hmm. He says, Chris, Mm -hmm. your social security knowledge has been extremely educational. I'm only 58, but I love learning about all the considerations of social security and when thinking about it. And then he signs it, George. He is Mm -hmm. from the state of, oh, wait, he gives two hints. Oh, you'll nail this. Um, the first clue, I ain't going to give it away because there's like 11 states that have the cardinal as their state bird. Mm, yeah, but that I, narrows it down to the to Middle 11. West. Yeah. The Midwest, rather. The Midwest. Mm. Um, the state motto is, and if you, Uh-oh. everyone listening Don't will get this, get much pressure this on me. right. No, you will get it right. Everyone listening will get this right. Think Midwest mm. and then mm-hmm. Land of Lincoln. Oh. Well, it's Illinois, of course. Illinois. Mm-hmm. Illinois. Okay. So with that said, we have two emails I want to get to. One was one of the original ones, and I do want to get to it because he um, – it was probably one of the more 
I don't want to say hosher because the man wasn't being mean at all. I was joking that he don't like you. Um, that was just a joke. Uh, but he was being very forceful and very poignant on some things that he doesn't agree with us on. So he begins, folks, Dear Jim and Chris, I enjoyed your last podcast. And that was the very first one we did on this dialogue series. Mm. I would appreciate it if you could include links in your show notes, um, especially to the article that you referenced. And I never thought oh, of doing that, idea. but yeah. we don't have show notes. No, well, so, Jacob types a little summary. When yeah, he but I, I so. look at some podcasts yeah. and, and their show notes. Yeah. I mean, there's one who actually, I don't know where he sends it. It's, it's, um, what, what do you call it there when they type out? Transcription. Yeah. Transcribe it, yes. Mm -hmm. So we could greatly improve our show notes. I realize that, folks. Give us a chance. Maybe we will. Mm -hmm. He says, overall, I agree with the approach to retirement, namely that the goal of retirement planning should be to spend as much money in retirement as possible and in a reasonable, sustainable way that accounts for expected spending patterns. Thus, unless someone really, truly, and sincerely intends to die with the highest net worth possible, that all-too-common result would have to be deemed a planning failure. Mm -hmm. Many common planning methods yield that kind of result due to their chronic underspending. Yep. So I like what he had to mm -hmm. begin with, folks. He likes the fact that my passion, my philosophy, my belief when it comes to retirement planning is the knowledge and acceptance that you are in the last third or less of your life. You are not getting younger, stronger, and healthier. You are getting older, weaker, and sicker. I don't care if you want to hear that or not. I don't care if you believe it or not. You don't have to believe it. The reality is the truth, though. You are not aging well. None of us do, least of all me. Some better all than others. <laughs> some better than others, absolutely. But we all know how it ends. And my thought, and that I always questioned with the industry's approach to retirement planning, is they pat themselves on the back when they show hypothetical or real-world examples, when I go to, to seminars and presentations and conferences and they show real clients, of course, everything is blacked out. Nobody has any idea who the client is, but the presenter says, this is a real client. And they're proud, Chris. And when he died, he had $11 million. I'm just making this up, but that's essentially what they're saying. And he started with me with just six. And if that's your goal, as this gentleman said, to die with the most, to be the richest person in the graveyard, except for that, he feels, as we feel, it should be considered a failure if you don't spend enough money in retirement either. But it is a very fine line to walk, a very hard needle to thread. You like that, huh? Two in a row. And it's difficult we get it. So it's not a set it and forget it. Even with our approach to the fun number, you need to monitor it. But I always felt, why are you unnecessarily constraining your clients to enjoying themselves when something can and will happen at any time? And even if they follow normal aging, 
eventually they're not going to be doing what we deem on the show go-go fun. They will enter slow-go and no-go. So at first, this gentleman begins and agrees with that concept. He continues, I also wholeheartedly agree with your critiques of the industry itself. The commission salespeople are like Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Rose. I have no idea what that means. And the AUM people are like Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. I Okay. Glenn Glenn, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is the first one. Oh, he, okay, yeah, he put in parentheses always be closing next to Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and next to Daniel Day Lewis he put I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. These are pretty intense uh, metaphors or uh Oh, okay. I didn't see either show. So um, (laughs) do you recommend I watch either of these two movies? There will be blood sounds interesting. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. (laughs) I don't know if I'm I'm not privy to your movie uh, preferences. I know you like uh, Westerns and dramas or or historical dramas. Historical, historical. Yep. uh, If it has to do with history, I'll watch it. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, let's continue. One of the things the industry does a lot, and I'm afraid you, and I think he's talking about you, and I'm afraid you have fallen into the trap, is the mindless, cutesy labeling of basic financial concepts as something else. While I'm sure it is good for marketing and attractive client presentation to come up with your terms, such as minimum dignity floor, when also what you really mean is baseline expenses, and you are very proud of your abilities to turn a phrase and follow all the other labeling blather, such as go blow, soul blow, and no blow. It's, it's, I think he's, he's, I don't think he, I think he knows it's go, go, slow, go, no go, yes, but he's calling he it blow. Yeah. Buckets and other gardening implements mm-hmm. and various confections. It makes you sound more like a salesperson than a professional I would want to trust. Nobody wants a doctor who refills their appendix as a roasting hot pepper. So I took that and I read that sent the mm-hmm. paragraph, folks, several times. And I wholeheartedly and passionately disagree. This man, and I'm not going to give his website, uh, is very intelligent. He's a astute investor based on his website. He may not be an industry person. But he's probably smarter than most of the people in the industry. So if I was to say to him baseline expenses, he knows what that means. Now, he may not have listened to this show long enough to know that minimum dignity floor was a name I gave to what he calls baseline expenses. I chose food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care. But I named them minimum dignity floor in honor of the woman who changed my life forever. And I would like to believe has changed the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people forever. And she went to her grave because she would be 108 today, not even knowing how her inability to afford a pint of strawberries impacted my life and the lives of hundreds, as I said, if not thousands of people. And who knows how many people going forward, her inability to buy strawberries And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll share on future stories, not today, how I became a retirement planner. And it was how a woman, when I was in my early 30s, a 78-year-old woman, couldn't afford a pint of strawberries. And I came up and named it Minimum Dignity Floor in honor of her because I felt even though she 
must have been happy someone bought her strawberries. She could not have felt dignified when she got home that day. That she couldn't, at 78, even afford strawberries. And I've always looked young for my age. I like to think I still look young for my age, even though I'm getting to be as old as dirt at age 60. But when I was 32, I kid you not, folks, I barely looked 18 to 22, somewhere around there. And it was a royal pain for me because I was a cop at the time, and no one took me seriously. They all thought I was a rookie because I kept. I looked so young. I looked like their son. She probably thought some kid bought her strawberries. So to this gentleman, I'm trying to teach very complicated subjects and very complicated concepts to people who don't do this for a living, to people who wouldn't know what I mean by baseline expense. But a person who completely understands minimum dignity floor who completely understands go-go fund spending, slow-go fund spending, no-go fund spending, and the other concepts that I try to get people to understand. Mm-hmm. It's really just a way for us to relate to people that um, you know, describe things in a digestible way, if you will. And I, I agree, some of them are kind of cutesy, and and uh, I don't know if I'd word, use the word gimmicky, but... Uh, uh, you know, some are unique to us. Some are actually pretty broadly utilized now in the industry. The go-go, slow-go, no-go thing I see regularly from lots of different sources. So that has spread, not not due to us, but uh, lots of people embraced it before we even started talking about it. But I, I agree. I, some of that stuff is it's it's um, he he has a preference for not that kind of approach, which I totally understand. That's his preference. That's absolutely, but it's because he's an industry person, and I fully get it. Maybe if a doctor got on stage in front of other doctors at some medical symposium and said, I had a patient in the other day whose appendix was a roasting hot pepper, oh my God. Yeah, maybe the other doctors in the audience wouldn't know, would, would be what he's saying, oh my God, what do you, what do you, what do you think we are, 12 years old, roasting hot pepper? But I asked a doctor client, I shared with a doctor client this gentleman's email, and I asked him, do you agree with him? I said, because honestly, this particular doctor client is not my personal doctor. I said, if you were my doctor and I had a problem with my appendix, I said, maybe because I know you, if you came in and said, Jim, your appendix is a roasting hot pepper, I I would laugh, but I would instantly understand what you mean. And the doctor said to me, he said, no, absolutely. I agree with you, Jim. He said, if I came into your office, and this is from the doctor, and said, your appendical orifice is obstructed, leading to a generalized inflammation, and if untreated, could develop progressive signs and symptoms of sepsis. He said, if I went in and said that to you, you would look at me, I know you, and you say, what are you saying? But if I go in and say to you, your appendix gym is a roasting hot pepper, I know instantly, hey, something isn't good if it's a roasting hot pepper. I might still say, what are you saying, doc? Your appendix is about to burst, Jim, and you might suffer sepsis. That's the point, listener, and listeners in general, to why I choose to teach this way and why I came up with these words and concepts. But also many of them are words and concepts that I think adequately describe what I'm trying to do. Fun number, see-through portfolio. These, to me, are terms that describe concepts 
that people can understand. So anyways, that's why I do it. I appreciate his feedback, but I feel I have a right to kind of defend, not defend because he wasn't being mean at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did go to his website. I'm quite impressed with what he does, uh, but he's an industry person. He, he, I can understand if he went into an industry, uh, he does investments. If he went into an investment concept and, and said roasting hot pepper, maybe they wouldn't understand him. Um, but as my doctor said, um, he, he kind of agrees dumbing down certain things rather than saying them in a very medical way. So he continues with one more paragraph. As for the construction, as for that construction, this is also where discussion of withdrawal rates is lacking. Instead of being able to explain why other people have come up with various calculations, which is often tied to portfolio construction, you do the equivalent of sticking your fingers in your ears, shaking your head and yelling, blah, 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 blah. I don't like that and I can't hear you. It would be more persuasive if you could display some curiosity about the subject and were actually to explain first why others have come up with different metrics for retirement planning and two, which approaches are better and why with whatever research you want to share. Simply shouting, I don't like it and I'm not a fan of it, are not persuasive reasons to not consider and use other methodology, even if it's just a backup plan. I don't feel I stick my fingers in my ears and just scream I don't like it. I make no, uh, I make no apology for the way I talk about the industry. I feel the industry does not have people's best interests at heart, even though the big marketing shtick today is fiduciary advisor or best interest or advice in the client's best interest. These are all marketing gimmicks now, folks. The regulators came up with these terms. The industry does what they always do. They hijack the terms. They throw it back on the regulators and start using it as marketing gimmicks and shticks. I don't agree with the AUM approach to asset management, and I don't particularly agree with the safe withdrawal rate and Monte Carlo projection approach that the industry has. But I don't stick my fingers in my ears and scream, I don't like it and not explain why. I've said many times, I don't like the safe withdrawal rate because it unnecessarily constrains spending on fun early in retirement, and we are not getting younger, stronger, and healthier. We have only a few years left. Some of us, it might be a decade or more. Others, it might be a week or less. We don't know, but we only have a few years left to enjoy ourselves fully enjoy ourselves during the go-go phase, another term this gentleman doesn't like, but during the initial phase of retirement, to enjoy yourself. And I don't want my clients or me myself to be the Debbie Downer that my dad always implored me in his quote-unquote younger years when he was only in his 70s and early 80s and living in a senior community not to be the Debbie Downer in that community and implored me to not let my clients do that, to be the people who have money but no way to spend it and nothing but regrets constantly about what they should have done when they had the ability but never did because nobody showed them they could. They termed those people Debbie Downers. 
I have openly shared that's why I don't like the safe withdrawal rate and the um, Monte Carlo projections that go with it. Now, that said, you need Monte Carlo if you are doing a safe withdrawal rate. I fully believe that you, you need that measure mixed in it. But I don't care for the safe withdrawal rate. And I don't feel Monte Carlo truly, even though the next email, the listener disagrees, truly can be used in our approach. Although this gentleman has a way that he tries to use it. And I think he's fairly successful at it. But that's my take on this. I'm not sticking my fingers in my ear. And again, I don't know this listener and I hope he continues listening. I'm not upset at all at his critique. But he is an investment person, is my understanding. And he seems to favor a safe withdrawal rate and portfolio optimization. So our approach is a little different than his. Don't stick your fingers in your ears and shout blah, blah, blah that you don't like my approach. Maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle for many people. And Chris and I often share that to to our listeners, that ours is not the only approach. Mine is not the only approach. And if a well-optimized, well-diversified with alternative asset classes that this gentleman seems to favor on his website works for him, God bless him and his, his readers and his clients. I don't know if he has clients or not, but that's great. But it doesn't diminish my approach And I have nothing against people who want to fund their retirement with a safe withdrawal rate, especially if their goal is to continue to try to grow their wealth and not necessarily consume their wealth. To us, yes, we have a different approach. We believe in time-segmented investing, but I like to call it spending segmented investing rather than time because we're going to segment your portfolio based on the spending and risk capacity it's assigned to. This is the concept I call positioning. Each position will have a different risk capacity, ergo a different investment mix. Some might be 100% equities if it's earmarked for something for a guaranteed inheritance or expenses that aren't anticipated to be needed for 20 plus years. Others might be in cash or T-bills because it's expenses that we need immediately. I just tend to favor that approach rather than one big portfolio with a optimized investment allocation and trying to manage a quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate from that because you limit spending every year to the withdrawal rate rather than being given budgets for certain expenses The big one that gets the headline, of course, is the fun number. But that fun budget, now you know, hey, out of my $3 million or $300,000, whatever you have, I can spend $1.2 million of it or $120,000 of it if you have a $300,000 portfolio. This is my fun budget. Now you can make the decision. Do you want to try to do things while you have the health, inclination, desire, and ability? Or not. That's your decision, not us. We feel as a firm, our job is to at least get a person to that level. That, hey, out of your $3 million portfolio, we feel fairly comfortable. You can spend $1.2 million of it on non-discretionary items. And, no, discretionary items, right? I always get that wrong. 
on discretionary items. It's up to the client to decide if they want to spend a lot of it, most of it, some of it, none of it early while they can, or if they feel it necessary to save fund money for later. But all the other expenses we have identified and and pulled out. So that's my thoughts. If you want to address some of his things, I don't feel we stick our fingers in our ears and go blah, 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 blah. But maybe we do. Or maybe it comes off at that. And if it does, I wholeheartedly apologize to him and to anyone else who feels Chris and I are so insecure about our approach. We just want to stick fingers in our ears and shout blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Well, I think that uh, there have been times in the past, and it's been actually quite a while probably since we've taken this approach, um, that we have kind of talked about more traditional retirement planning approaches and some of the research behind it, some of the academic results uh, of of those approaches um, being analyzed. Uh, they're kind of, in my opinion, a little, little dry and boring as far as a topic goes. So, um, I'm not disappointed that we don't do those all the time. Um, but it has come up. We've talked about, you know, Bill Benjamin and how his original research, uh, you know, created what everybody, you know, talks about now is the safe withdrawal rate concept. I'm not sure anybody before that really talked about it in that way. So we can kind of give him credit for introducing it to the masses, um, we've talked a lot about some of the, the stuff in the past that, that Kitsis has put out, Michael Kitsis. Um, but, God uh, Reels yeah. of uh, Benjamin or Bingen, whatever his name is. Guyton. Mm-hmm. Guyton. Yeah. Uh, although we haven't done a I – don't, I don't remember doing a very academic description of the guardrail approach. We've talked about it generally. but Generally, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, one so, thing so keep in mind. Just know, I, just... Let me say one last thing, that, that we've looked at all those in great detail – in formulating our approach to overcome what we see as the weaknesses for people who look at retirement the way we do. Um, So it's not that we haven't considered them. We don't necessarily talk about everything that has happened behind the scenes that's gotten us to this point in our, you know, portrayal of what we believe to be an attractive way to do retirement. But it, you know, it's certainly been, been looked at. Yeah, I will say, I am not a Fowl or Blanchard or Kitsis. I don't have that academic researcher mindset. I'm not even a Vanguard VG. I don't even know how to open Excel, let alone program it. Oh, he, he can open I, it. I can open it. I don't know a damn thing about it. Frustrates me to, to, to no end when I see Excel and, and everything. Seriously, folks, that's not how I operate. So that's one of the reasons I don't get into the academic discussion of why I may not support something, I tend to look at things rather straightforward and try to keep things simple. The KISS concept, keep it simple, stupid, really resonates with me, truly does. And I think overly diversified portfolios are very complex as you age. I think the industry purposely keeps things complex So people purposely feel they need the industry and have to pay these outrageous fees. And I'm not saying this gentleman falls into that category because I don't even know if he does his work for, for cost or for free. I can't tell. But I'm talking about the industry itself. They try. 
um, the, the big thing in the industry right now is direct indexing. I think it's the biggest scam, shiny little new new thing that they're waving in front of a fish, the new lore, to get people to suck on to thinking they have to continue to pay these outrageous fees to people for direct indexing. I have yet to see any valid reason that someone needs to own 200, 300, 400 different holdings directly to maybe eke out a little bit of tax preferential treatment on a brokerage account that you can't get from a well-diversified ETF. But after adjusting for all the fees, you still probably would have been better with a passively managed ETF. And I'm just throwing that out as a blatant example of what the industry does. Keeps things purposefully complex, trying to sell complexity because they can't sell simplicity. Because simplicity, people would say, I just do it myself. Which is what we as a firm and me as the firm's principal, founder and owner have acknowledged. We call our asset management service convenience portfolios. You're not going to hire me because it's complex. I'm keeping it simple. You're going to hire me because you don't want to do it yourself. And here's what we're going to charge for you. And if you don't want to hire us, here's what we were going to do anyways. We're not going to tell you the investments, but we're going to tell you the concepts. We talk about it openly on this show. We don't hide anything. We don't have one of those stupid podcasts that say, well, if you call us, first 10 callers, we're going to give you this analysis for free. No, we fully share our secret sauce. We fully share what it is we try to do to let you do it yourself is try to do it yourself. And if you're going to hire my firm or any firm to help you manage your money, you're hiring it as a convenience because you could do it yourself if you kept it simple. Seriously, folks, all you Vanguard VGs, you know, you really only need about three or four different Vanguard well-diversified index funds, and you have a 60-40 portfolio, and you only have to rebalance that thing twice a year, and you could probably set up Vanguard as a custodian or Schwab as a custodian or whoever you're using to do it automatically, and boom, you're going to beat 99% of investment advisors out there net of their fee. So that's why, and maybe that 99% is being a little facetious, I admit, but the point is... The industry doesn't sell simplicity because simplicity can't be sold, at least at the outrageous prices that the industry is charging, 1% of assets. That's outrageous. It sounds so simple. It sounds so harmless. It's outrageous. And with the safe withdrawal rate, that 4% safe withdrawal rate, which actually was about 4.2 or 4.3, but got rounded by the, the reporters who reported on it to 4 did not include investment management fees. Let me repeat that. The industry that is charging you one damn percent of your assets to manage them under a 4% safe withdrawal rate, that 4% doesn't include investment management fees. Bill Benjamin admits that. There are no investment advisory fees in that. So if you're working with an advisor who has your best interests at heart and all the other BS the industry touts, and they're ripping 1% out and limiting you to a safe withdrawal rate, you're already in the hole. You should only be spending 3% because they're taking one. But they don't do that. 
They give you four and they still take one. So you're actually taking five, 25% higher withdrawal rate than Bill even said to begin with. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Not to this listener, because I don't, who sent this email. I'm not, I'm not getting angry at you, listener. And I am not angry at all at you. I appreciate your feedback. I'm angry at the industry. You don't hear them talking about this. All right, you take over because I'm getting riled up. I say you're getting a little emotional here. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> Nobody talks about that. That 4% doesn't include the 1% management fee of the asset manager, not even counting the management fees of the investments themselves. Just want to point that out. Yeah, you've mentioned that before, but we haven't talked about that for a while. So I don't understand how these advisors with the safe withdrawal rate Monte Carlo probability statistic, are they projecting a 5% withdrawal in their Monte Carlo to reflect the 4% net to the client to adjust for their fee? I don't know. I don't think so. But if you're working with one of those advisors, you might want to ask them. Mm -hmm. Because if they're not, you're actually withdrawing 25% more. Sounds like 1%, right? Oh, it's only 1% more, Jim. No, it's 100 basis points more, one percentage point. But when you go from 4% to 5%, I'm not teaching you Van Guardians anything you don't know. That's 25% more. You're taking out 25% more than what the quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate even is. Yet I don't hear that talked about enough. And I'm not saying this isn't a dig on this listener. And please, I have nothing against. I'd love to meet this guy someday. I really would. Um, if I don't even know where he lives. I go to his website and see. But I appreciate the feedback. You just got me riled when I, you know me, when I go down these rabbit holes. But that's the whole thing with this industry. Anyways, he ends it with my, and here he is. I'm just reading the email, folks. My name is Frank, and don't you dare call me George. It is too cutesy and condescending, and we'll need to spray you with the quote garden hose if you do that. Mm, wow. All the he best. has some strong feelings as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you imagine him and I? Oh, my Lord. Yeah, maybe he's from Massachusetts. You can go at it with Massachusetts. Hold on. Let me click real quickly to his website. I'm not going to give it out. I want to see if he gives where he lives. No, he doesn't. Um, maybe if I read further in, but his, his top note uh, doesn't seem to see. Oh, he actually looks quite friendly. This is his picture. He looks my well, age, Well, you look too. quite friendly, too, but you still get kind of animated. Oh. Um, I, something tells me this guy gets animated. In, 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 animated too um i don't know where he lives it doesn't say here but uh maybe maybe he's nearby i don't know so i'm scared for you to start the next email because i know it's kind of long and we're oh a little deep in at this point and i want to give a special shout out to this gentleman uh, let me just say we can do this this gentleman i'm not going to get to his email quickly Mm -hmm. we'll 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 do it first as our first one in our... Yeah. It's just uh, kind of long is why I'm saying it is. It is, but I want to give a shout out to him. He knows who he is. He's listening to us. He's listened to us for a long time. He lives in Arizona. I did get your email. I like it. I like what you said and your approach and how you use some of what we do and how you still use Monte Carlo on your own. He's a definite Excel. The, the man is an expert in Excel. So I, I just want to acknowledge to him, I got your email and I, I am going to address it. But Chris went on today like crazy and we're just not going to be able to, to squeeze you in. 
Yeah, he'll he'll okay. understand. He will. He will. And uh, I do want to thank this Frank George guy, George Frank. We'll call him George Frank. <laughs> He's going to spray you with the hose. He's going to spray you with a hose. Uh, I do appreciate your email because you weren't mean and I wasn't trying to be mean back. I was just trying to explain myself, especially the fact that I'm not an academic. I just look at things through the lens of life and what makes common sense to me and working with people for 24 years and sadly watching people die long before they ever thought they would. And it doesn't happen to everyone. Trust me, all my clients don't die. But far more of our clients, and you will agree, Chris, have passed away earlier than life expectancy. A lot, not all of them, but far more than I would have ever imagined. And maybe it's because we only work with retirees. Well, even, I mean, it feels that way, but half of the people are going to live less than life expectancy and the other half are going to live longer. That's what life expectancy is. It's the median age. True. So it is not shocking that we have people that pass ahead of time. And and it's the the the, I guess, not that you have regret once you're gone, but as you approach that time and you suddenly realize that's upon you, I think regret could be very overwhelming if you're not taking an approach that really focuses on doing things, getting your, you know, your bucket list items, the rewarding experiences with your spouse and your family. There's a lot of those things done. Not that you want to do everything and then say, well, I've got, I've done everything I wanted to do by 70. And now what the hell am I going to do for the next 25 years? It's not that it's just putting a, you know, biasing things early, trying to put the focus on, can we really, you know, pull this off safely? How much could we actually splurge early so that we can be sure to get the top three things on our bucket list through uh, just in case we don't make it, you know, and we're not healthy enough at 75 or 80 or 70 or, you know, whatever the age might be that this might happen to half the people, right? Half the people live shorter than life expectancy and the other half live longer. It's just the, the nature of things. So um, it, uh, I know it feels because we, we get to know these people personally. So I think it's a little more impactful when they when we do lose somebody um, because of that personal connection, it just feels more severe and like, you know, Oh my gosh, I can't believe so many people are passing away earlier, but statistically it, it's probably still just half. And it does Chris though impact. And I'm glad you said that because the, the story that I've shared many times to people on this show of the gentleman who was buying an annuity mm-hmm. because he didn't have enough secure income. He retired and oh, he didn't retire. He was fired not fired personally, he was laid off in 08, forcefully retired, as he puts it, mm-hmm. during the market correction of 08. What a time to be let go by a big employer in the northern Colorado area that I will not mention. And this man was truly panicking. And he said to me, he didn't know how I shared the story, how much money he can spend. I don't know how long I'm going to live, how much money I can spend, what the future is going to bring. Because when he walked into my office, the day he had to write a check, I believe it was for 230000 but I could be wrong. The day he wrote a check for that annuity, he walked into my office, which you know, Chris, and I've shared on this podcast, was literally when he walked in the front door. <laughs> it was my office first, not the admin's office. Hers was in the back of mine. He walked into my office, looked directly at me and said, this isn't easy. 
And I thought he meant having to put 230, and I'll have to look up what the exact amount was, into this annuity. The annuity, luckily for him, did pay if he did not receive all his money back, did have a, a payout of the remaining of his assets. He chose that. And he told me in his 60s that when he said, this isn't easy, I said to him, what isn't easy, George? And you know his one word answer, Chris. Well, what was it? Retirement. Retirement. But, yeah. I'll never forget that. And he went on to tell me how he's just freaking out. And he doesn't know how much money he should be spending, how long he's going to live, what he can do, all of these different things. And this is before my concept of fun number. This is what started giving me the desire to delve even deeper and deeper. I had the concept of minimum dignity for and secure income. I had not mined yet the concept of fun number. And I told him later, I thought you were going to answer putting, let's just say it was 230000 putting 230000 into your annuity wasn't easy. And he said to me, that is nothing. It is so easy. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, I am so looking to the steady paycheck. And one of his quotes to me, and this is exact, I miss the safety and security of my paycheck. My point is, that man died at 73 a couple of years ago, very unexpectedly. All my clients who passed have impacted me. But he, it, I grow to this day, folks, Jack B. Little Pumpkins, because he's the one who told, he loved to God and like I do. He's the one who told me about Jack B. Little's. Because I told him, I want to grow small pumpkins and give them away to the, the children in our neighborhood uh, at the office. And I did for a little while. Used to put, as you remember, Chris, uh, Joe, when she was the admin, would put pumpkins outside uh, with a sign, free. And people would stop and grab these little pumpkins. Yep. I now give them away still for free, but to a, a meetup group that I organize for mostly uh, people over the age of 50 and 60. But uh, we all get together and I give away uh, 60, 70, 80 mini pumpkins every year. Anyways, my point is I grow those pumpkins to this day and I think of George all the time when I'm planting them. And the story that he has given me to share, not only with his confusion of retirement, but he told me he didn't know how long he was going to live. What he didn't know was he had less than a decade to live. And I wish I had my fun number calculation then, because maybe, maybe I could have got him to spend even more money. He never spent enough. And I told him that every year he would walk in. We didn't manage his money. You don't have to hire us to manage money. He would come in every year to review his retirement plan, and he did everything. you think I'm bad. He had a notebook, a spiral notebook, and he wrote in it with pencil so he could erase if he made an error. And he had every single year his expenses every month on a page, his portfolio, what it did each month, what each investment was worth at the end of the month, what his total portfolio was worth. I know all you Excel people are cringing. He didn't use Excel. He did it all by hand. And I used to tell him, 
go do things. I told him once, you love to God and go, go to Europe and see the tulips in Norway. Go see the gardens in England. Go spend your money. I couldn't get him to spend his money. The tulips are in Holland. Oh, no wonder he didn't go to Norway to see tulips then. <laughs> they, I'm sure they have a few. I'm glad he didn't listen to me. The poor man would have landed in Norway saying, where are the tulips? Yeah. My financial advisor told me to come to Norway and see tulips. You sure they're in Holland? Isn't oh, Norway and Holland the no. same? Isn't uh, it all the same? No, that's not all the same. No. I mean, Europe is kind of all clumped. You know, it's like the Midwest of the United States is all clumped together. But uh, Is yeah, Holland no. at least touching Norway? No. Oh, Christ. All right. separates them. <laughs> yeah, oh. no. Well, anyways, back to George. Mm-hmm. George passed away, folks, long before he can enjoy it. And I hope everyone listening isn't going to be a George, but we might be. I might be. Chris might be. We all might be. And that is purely and truly why I believe in, in our approach. Maybe, maybe if I had, I didn't have the concept and we're still evaluating. Chris and I have recently changed the fun number approach. It's a massive change, but a slight change. And we'll share it later on a future show. Massive for us as planners, but minor in its, its impact. But you'll see when we explain it. My point is I am constantly looking at my approach and evaluating. That's why the gentleman in Arizona, I will be reaching out to you. He and I have spoken, folks. So he, I know him and he knows me. Um, I will be speaking to you about your approach of utilizing Monte Carlo. Because if I feel a Monte Carlo analysis could help in my approach, I'm all ears. I just don't see it. I don't see how it's going to help tell someone that if you don't spend your money on fun, you might have this much when you die. But maybe I'm looking at it wrong. So my point is I'm all ears if there's better ways of doing this. But I am not an academic and I'm not going to do academic style research. I wish I listened to Wade Fow talk. I wish listened to Blanchett talk and Kitsis. And oh my God, I wish I had their minds. But if I did, I honestly don't know if I would have came up with my approach because they're too academic in their thinking. They don't sit back and look at people as real humans and look at life and the way people think. People don't think in Excel spreadsheets and theory. People think and live in the real world. They think of hot red peppers or whatever that first gentleman said. They don't think in terms of inflammation and sepsis. An academic would, but people are not academics. Thankfully, we'd be a boring society if we all walked around as academics. I tend to look at things simple. Anyways, and I learn, I learn from experiences. And we've had many, many client experiences over the past 24 years that I've been doing this. And all of those experiences together, all of those stories together is how I came up with my approach. And, and it just kind of works. Anyways, I'll stop rambling, but hopefully people can learn and learn from George. I'll never forget that. And I wish I could have got him to spend more. He didn't know he was only going to live to 73. Nobody did. And I still think even with all the secure income he had, 
he still felt uncomfortable spending his money because he tracked it like crazy. It's like, oh my God, I would tell him, George, just knock it off. Go enjoy yours. I kid you not. I talked to him that way. We were that close. I was like, knock it off. I couldn't get him to do it. He just, it was all about accumulation. And what good is that now? Maybe he could have went to Norway. He wouldn't have found tulips. Oh, he but had he enough time to head a little south and seen yeah. a whale. Maybe I, I know there's whales in Norway. Well, so, not on land, but not on land. But he could have been on land looking out at the water. <laughs> I don't know, but that's my point, folks. Maybe if if you just limit yourself to a safe withdrawal rate, you just don't know. Maybe having that bigger budget and do safe withdrawal rate on everything else. Figure out what your fun number is and to hell with making that last the rest of your damn life. I want to die with no fun number. Now, if I'm with a a woman and we're married, I, I will ensure that her minimum dignity floor is well protected and she has her own fun number reserved. But while I'm alive with her, I want none of that left. It does me no good. Anyways, that's that. Okay. Well, that's uh, the wrap to this series. I think next week, uh, if you're going to hold true to what you've talked about in the past, we're going to go into um, the Ed some Ed Slot uh, test, which is kind of a fun one where, where uh, some of the questions that are posed to the uh, Ed Slot Elite All advisors. of the questions, not some, all 20, okay, all 20. But, but it's uh, the, I thought they changed the name. It's not Elite Advisors anymore. It's something else, isn't it? Or do they call them, what's your little group no. called? <laughs> A little group? Yeah. It's still called the Ed Slot Master, Master Elite, Elite Advisors. Okay, yeah, Master Elite. So, right. Um, and, and at those biannual um, training sessions, they have a little quiz that they do and, it's kind of fun to go through those quiz questions. Uh, can be very educational. Um, so we'll see how that rolls out next week when we do the EDU show. Because I sus- well, suspect I that's haven't what we're doing. taken the test yet, so I need to take it first. Well, you've, so got, I will, you've got one I will week. Get the, I, I got one. I got less than a week. Oh, no, a yeah. week. A week from today because we have to record next right. Wednesday. Yeah, as long as you so get done I, by next week, I will week. do it, and uh, then everyone else will will play Perfect. along. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks for your contributions to this series, and we'll uh, circle back to it next quarter. And in the meantime, uh, take care, and we'll be back with you next week with a brand-new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556.
The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 